Beyond Infinity. Welcome to Beyond Infinity. Piers Cunningham with you. And I'm joined today by Dr. Tony Hayes, a double PhD, a retired physicist, and a lecturer on the University of the Third Age, the U3A. Tony, great to have you in the studio today. It's good to be here. Tony, today's a really interesting subject, uh, which you have nominated. It's it's to do with pole shifts and the magnetism of the Earth and what has been revealed by an unlikely source about this, about magnetism and pole shifting and, and magnetic excursions as they're known. And you're going to explain this terminology as we go on, I'm sure. But a swamp in New Zealand yielded a very old tree and the rings of that tree have shed some light on this subject. So... Tony Hayes, please um, enlighten us about this tree in the swamp. Well, it's very exciting news. We, we know that the Earth's magnetic field is not constant. We know that the magnetic poles don't correspond to the north and the south um, geographic poles. In fact, the, north, the magnetic poles move. When uh, Mawson, in, in the early part of the 1900s, went to the south magnetic pole, it was, of course, on land, but nowadays it's in the sea. And, and the North Pole, which is on the opposite side of the world, is moving from Canada, where it always seemed to be when I was a young lad. It's heading for Siberia really quite quickly. Not only are the poles moving, but the field strength of the Earth's magnetic field is, is falling, it's dropping. And it has done over the years from time to time. It's gone up and down. And occasionally, and somewhat randomly, the North and the South Pole actually flip. They turn over. So the compasses no longer point to the north, they point to the south. Now, we use the word flip, but it, it was strongly suspected that this flip took many hundreds of years, if not thousands of years, but nobody was actually sure just how long it took. And, and in addition to the flips, which happen from time to time, there are what's known as excursions, where the poles fall in terms of the field strength, they move and, and might just change places for a very short time, relatively short time, but then come back again. And these mechanisms are all to do with the, uh, the center of the Earth, the core of the Earth, which is a, a solid uh, iron core. Now, if that flips, then it is um, a proper flip and the, the poles will stay reversed for a long period of time. But around that solid core, there is a molten iron area uh, volume and this swishes around and this is responsible for these excursions when that changes its its position or its motion then you can have an excursion which doesn't go the full way anyway we know about these things essentially from the rock structure when volcanoes produce lava there is a, a, a constituency of lava one of, one of one of the one of the elements in 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 lava several of the elements have magnetic properties and when they cool down they freeze to be aligned with the earth's magnetic field and the rock structures can be studied and we know the the dates of them from the various layers and you can see the direction of the earth's magnetic field at certain times in the distant past and it was thought for a long time that this, that the last 
flip or excursion took place long, long ago, long before there was any human beings on Earth. But now we know that's not true. There is evidence, several pieces of evidence, to show that a an excursion, a major excursion, not a, not a total flip, but a major excursion happened about 42,000 years ago. It's known as the Longchamp excursion because there's a volcano near Clermont-Ferrand in France, a little place called Longchamp, where it erupted 42,000 years ago and frozen into the lava is a magnetic signature which is different from the one at present. There are also sediments on the floor of the Black Sea. And when sediments fall to the bottom of the sea, they too align themselves up with the Earth's magnetic field. Those, com those components that have a magnetic dipole in them. Right. But the exciting thing, or one of the exciting things, is that in Australia, there's evidence of a fireplace, a man-made fireplace, in the Lake, Lake Mungo in northern Victoria, where the stones of the fireplace have clearly been heated above what's known as the Curie point, if you heat a substance below it, sorry, above its Curie point, the magnetic dipoles jiggle around and, 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 and go in random directions. When the fire bricks, in this case, cool down, the magnetic signature is frozen in, according to the Earth's magnetic field, at that time. And there's a fireplace that has been discovered in Lake Mungo, which shows that it happened about 42,000 years ago. And these bits of evidence from different parts of the world are pretty conclusive. Mm. But now something really exciting has happened. Mm. As Piers alluded to, the New Zealanders have found a tree, a very special tree, a very large tree, a kauri, which is so old, it's been buried in a swamp and therefore it's, not, it's been um, prevented from decaying too much. Mm. They've been able to carbon date it, and it dates from this very period, 42,000 years ago. The thing about the kari tree, it's a very large, very long living tree. Mm. This particular tree has lived for 1,700 years. Wow. And just happened to be alive over that um, over excursion very period. excursion period. Mm. And, of course, it's now considered to be the Rosetta Stone, because they can look at these tree rings. They're... They dated it using carbon dating. Now, it's getting a bit to the limit of carbon dating. 42,000 years is a long time mm -hmm. for carbon dating because you can't go back too far because of the decay rate of carbon-14. But they've established the date using carbon dating, and they can look at the tree rings ring by ring and see quite a lot of information about the climate changes during the period that the tree lived. Yep. Now, sadly... There are not components in the tree rings which point in different directions magnetically. That would be the Rosetta. That, I mean, that, that, that would really be the Holy Grail. Mm. No, but what they have in the tree rings are isotopes which give an indication of what was happening to the Earth's atmosphere during the growth of that tree. And what happens, of course, is once the magnetic field has dropped considerably... The Earth is no longer shielded from cosmic rays and the solar wind. 
and therefore the Earth is subjected to a considerable amount of radiation which it would not otherwise experience. Hmm. Now this radiation results in isotopes being formed and they are in these tree rings. They've been able to show with these tree rings that the actual event, this excursion, took a period of about, I think it's 200 years to flip. It stayed flipped for about 400 years and then it took about another 200 years to flip back again. So it was, in geological terms, a very short excursion. But nevertheless, they can see in detail as to what happened. Mm -hmm. And there are one or two very interesting thoughts about this. At 42,000 years is an important date in the calendar of the Earth because it corresponds to the decline of the Australian megafauna Mm-hmm. It corresponds to the decline of the Neanderthals. They seem to die out about that. And it seems to correspond to when cave paintings started to appear. Now, is it possible? We don't know, but it's speculated that these things are related. At the moment, it's just a correlation. Yep. Could it be that because of this extra radiation reaching the Earth, that people who survived were the people who lived underground in caves. Mm. Obviously, they had to go out and hunt, but they could perhaps survive spending most of their time in the caves. The Anacals perhaps didn't cotton on to this, and the megafauna certainly didn't. And it may be that these things are all related, so it's a very exciting time. The megafauna for listeners are the um, sort of giant versions of existing animals. So there were giant wombats, I think there were giant kangaroos, there was a marsupial... Uh, very large, um, it's kind of like a saber-toothed tiger that I think they've found fossils of. Again, one of the, the Australian megafauna. So they were unique animals to the continent of Australia. Is there evidence, Tony, of other uh, animal species also being wiped out or, or becoming extinct at that 42,000-year mark? I know about the Neanderthals and I know about the megafauna. I mean, I, I'm sure that it corresponds to other things mm. dying off at this mm. time. But as you said, it's a in correlation rather than a Th- This than is a new stuff. Link. I mean, we, we, we don't really know the full extent of it. I, I, I got onto this by seeing an article written about the University of Waikato in New Zealand. Mm. A guy called Professor Alan Hogg had written a paper about this, and I, I discovered this, and I wrote to him, and I found this so exciting. And I, I, I asked him the question, is there a compound within tree rings which aligns to the Earth's magnetic field. So you could actually look at the Earth's magnetic field ring by ring. And he wrote back and said, no, sadly there isn't. But what we can do is look at the effects of radiation on these rings. Right. Some of the sort of speculation about uh, what might have been experienced by people, by Neanderthals, or in fact, there were also Homo sapiens. So it wasn't just Neanderthals. There were also people like us around at this time. They didn't suffer the same fate, obviously, as the as the Neanderthals. Why would it be that modern humans who were alive in 42,000 years ago 
seemed to be unaffected or at least didn't get wiped out, perhaps the Neanderthals were on the way out anyway. It's a bit like the argument about the meteorite and the Yucatan Peninsula wiping out the, the dinosaurs. Well, apparently now the mo- more modern thinking is that they were on the way out anyway before the, the meteor struck. And so it may be the same for the Neanderthals 42,000 years ago. But as you said, this is fairly new work that's being done. But some of the speculation about what was experienced then in terms of auroras being so bright because of all this electrical activity in the atmosphere and uh, the temporary lack of a magnetic field allowing huge amounts of radiation to strike the surface that not not only was it a dangerous environment uh, from a radiation point of view and hence the, the, the theory that, that that may have been a reason why people around the Neanderthals went into caves and so you saw a blossoming of, of cave art but also they would have experienced some amazing natural phenomena like auroras so bright that night became day. Yes, and the auroras wouldn't be confined to the poles either because the magnetic field would not be present, so the auroras would be all over the sky. Mm. And it could well be that... uh, I mean. The search is on now for other things that happened 42 years ago, 42,000 years ago. And it could well be that Homo sapiens were much reduced in numbers during that time because of this mm. phenomenon. But the ones who happened to have caves and lived in caves are the ones that survived and carried on to be our, our parents, our ancestors. Do you get the feeling this is something that people really need to, you know, you know, that we need to be sort of hardening satellites or we need to be hardening computer drives to withstand uh, extra radiation? If what happened 42,000 years ago uh, is being repeated now, and this is, a, this is kind of modernised, this is taking the discussion to the present, um, well, well, what are the signs that it is being repeated now? And there are some similarities. There are indeed. Now, the... Flips, the magnetic flips are definitely random. There's, the, the, there's no pattern there at all. But the time between flips, the sort of average time between fl- flips, is shorter than the time since the last major flip. So it could well be that we're due for one. And the early symptoms of, of a magnetic reversal or a magnetic excursion are the movement of the poles and the division. The, it, diminution of the magnetic field strength which is exactly the things that are happening at this moment and it may be over the next thousand years or so or ten thousand years or so we do experience one of these excursions or even a major flip um yeah and 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 then there's you know the issue of um we're already experiencing extreme weather events that are linked to human-induced climate change so there is the potential if we were having a a flip and say it did last for a few hundred years then we could have a it could have an amplifying effect on on what we're seeing with wild weather and extremes of of heat and uh, drought and uh, flooding and and all the different weather phenomenon that that scientists are pointing to as symptoms of a changing climate and, and of humans influence on the climate if you add to that a natural flip that we've seen before and we might be experiencing ourselves well that that would be a reason to be concerned and and perhaps take, take perhaps take even more drastic action to address climate change than than is already been called for well that's putting it mildly look i think that the two are unrelated at the moment but there would come a time if the earth's magnetic field continued to decline 
there would come a time when the radiation would start to have an effect on the climate. There's no question about that. And of course, I mean, it, it, in, in, in this context, it's a bit flippant to mention this, but um, there are quite a lot of birds who rely on the Earth's magnetic field for their migration. And you can imagine they might all start going the wrong way. Yeah, yeah. well, that's interesting you say that because I think there's quite a few. It's, it's not just birds. There's various animals that um, have been shown to uh, to be able to detect uh, magnetic field. For example, dogs. I believe if you bury a magnet and you've trained the dog, the dog will be able to dig up the magnet. I didn't know that. Without smelling it. It's not smelling that. it. It's, 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 it's no, no. able to detect the magnetic field. And they've even suggested that humans have this ability but in a very subtle way they've done some experiments i've been reading about this uh, discussion we're having today i came across an article which was saying that they've done some studies where they've put people just random selection of people into a room without any kind of anything to do really just an empty room to sit silently and then they've exposed them to magnetic fields i think inside a kind of faraday cage mm-hmm. uh, and and they have noticed differences in the EEG reading. So when they, when they wire them up and, and monitor their brain waves, they can see changes caused by magnetic fields, which is interesting as well. What the actual survival benefit um, of having that in humans is unknown at this yeah, stage. Yeah, yeah. But I think they're saying that, that there's a, there's a, there are cells in the human body that are actually capable of synthesizing a magnetic effect on a nano scale certainly sort of possible and well worth looking for mm. but it, it 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 reminds me a little bit about water divining and of course we know that that really doesn't doesn't really work mm. there's so many theories that you come across if you look on youtube yeah. and you put in pole shift my god you've got to sift through uh you know pages and pages of conspiracy theories and things that are completely unrelated alien stories it is a subject that fits a lot in it sort of it sparks the imagination to put it politely if you like there's a lot of uh, a lot of uh, stuff and perhaps nonsense on the internet about the effects of pole shifts and why they happen something that's that i thought was really interesting and i mentioned to you before we were just talking about it is that the sun does a proper pole flip quite regularly yes i didn't know that you told me about that this morning apparently the sun's magnetic field changes fairly rapidly and fairly regularly yeah that's right the sun's magnetic field changes polarity approximately every 11 years which is also the oh that's that's coincides with the the solar cycle yeah so from solar Um, max to solar minimum yeah the sunspot cycle yeah 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 that's right Uh, oh goodness me well that happens at the peak certainly related happens at the at the peak of each solar cycle as the sun's inner magnetic dynamo reorganizes itself that's too good a coincidence not to be uh somehow related i would think yeah but But then there are also connections between the activity of the sun correlating with these excursions that we have on earth oh indeed there are Mm. oh yes I'm talking with Dr. Tony Hayes, a double PhD, a retired physicist, also an inventor of the parking sensor. And if you'd like to hear some other interviews that I've done, discussions with Tony, I suggest you head to our program website, beyondinfinity.com.au, and you can just do a search there for Dr. Tony Hayes. You'll find a collection of interviews that he's very kindly come and done with me over the years, including an explanation of his role in developing a parking sensor and taking it to Jaguar 
Joshua in Coventry and having them re- reject this as something only someone who was hard at seeing would, would be interested in having and how they um, they were totally wrong because uh, most cars these days are fitted with parking sensors and they've proved to be very, very useful indeed. Can I just say that if anybody's trying to find me, uh, they have to know that I come from a family of bad spellers mm. and we spell the name H-E-Y-E-S. It's the Lancashire way of spelling Hayes. You're listening to Beyond Infinity. Talking with Dr. Tony Hayes, a bit of a seasoned contributor to this program, so it's great to have Tony here. And we're talking about the cowrie tree in in New Zealand that was that's been studied. It was found in a swamp. It was forty two thousand years old. Just happened to be around when there was a magnetic excursion. It's kind of like the beginning of a pole shift that doesn't go through. It's it's even been termed a failed pole shift that doesn't doesn't succeed in in causing north to become south and south to become north now that has happened many many times in earth's history over the last four and a half billion years but the time we got closest most recently was forty-two thousand years ago tony there's a bit of a warning in a way of what happens to a planet if you take away the magnetic field and that's mars well yes and i think the, the main reason is of course that mars is cooler Earth gets its heat in the core from nuclear reactions, but it loses heat depending on the environment. And the environment is that the Earth is closer to the sun than Mars, and therefore it loses heat less quickly than Mars. Mars is smaller too, and therefore has lost heat. And I think what's happened is Mars has cooled down. It no longer has a magnetic field because the core is frozen and solid. It no longer has tectonic plate movement although there are some mars quakes they're they're very small so maybe there's a little bit of motion still going on i think the fact that there's mars quakes is possibly suggesting there is some heat left in the very middle of the planet but it has dissipated and they don't actually know what caused um, mars to lose its atmosphere or its magnetic field so to start with it did have a magnetic field and it also had running water. And they can see that the trails of this from satellite imagery, in fact, they've got a rover at Jezero Crater, which is an old delta from billions of years ago that they've deliberately targeted because they're looking for sediments. They're, they're hoping they might find signs of ancient microscopic life. And so they're targeting places where they know there was water and they can see that from, from orbit. However, it's many, many years, you know, probably billions, that it, it has been a dry... Uh, frozen desert that it is now with an average temperature well a nighttime temperature down to 100 uh, 100 celsius below zero occasionally might get above zero in certain spots on the equator with the best kind of uh, weather that they can get or the most heat but generally it's cold and very dry and an atmosphere that had a density of one hundredth of the earth's atmosphere and a patchy weak magnetic field now what caused mars to lose its magnetic field and then by the process of losing its magnetic field open itself to being vulnerable to the solar wind and to uh, interstellar radiation to literally just blow the atmosphere off it and they know this is happening it's still happening because there is a thin atmosphere there mainly carbon dioxide the americans have an orbiter called maven which stands for mars atmosphere and volatile evolution 
which is in orbit. It was launched in November 2013. It's exploring the red planet's upper atmosphere, its ionosphere, and interactions with the sun and solar wind. And they have mapped the loss of the atmosphere even now in the time that that's been in orbit since uh, 2013. They suspected it was happening. This is a mission that's been devoted to, to studying that phenomenon. They know that if you don't have a magnetic field, it's harder to hold onto an atmosphere, and Mars is a prime example of that. I think that's right, and I think the reason why it doesn't have a magnetic field, it's all to do with cooling. Mars is actually cooled. It, it's smaller than the Earth, and therefore it cools more rapidly. It's also further away from the Sun. And it's lost its heat, its magnetic core is essentially frozen, so is the molten core. So it doesn't have the dynamo that Australia... It doesn't have a dynamo in there. We're so fortunate that the Earth still has this heat source within it, Mm. which is actually maintaining... I mean, it's pretty inconvenient to have earthquakes and volcanoes, but if we didn't have them, we wouldn't have magnetic field and we wouldn't have the protection from the cosmic rays. Mm. And, and that's something that they, they uh, say that if ever we're going to do what Elon Musk wants to do and have a colony on Mars, that we're going to have to have some serious protection from radiation. Oh, uh, it's a pretty inhospitable yeah, place, for goodness sake. There are people actually who don't like the idea of seeing it as, as, as Musk does as a kind of backup to the Earth because it's such a, compared with the Earth, which, you know, the Earth is paradise. Uh, Absolutely. For, hu- for humans, um, uh, uh, whereas but Mars isn't. And, and apparently this idea, which was really mainly science fiction, of, of somehow terraforming Mars and, and you know, returning it to the time when it had an atmosphere, that's basically impossible from what, well, from what it, I read. It's very, very difficult to predict the future. But one thing you can say is that um, life on this planet will become extinguished. It'll take quite a long time. But, and by that time... It may well be that we'll be ready and capable and have the technology to shift somewhere else and make a habitat that's suitable for ourselves. Mm. But we're going to have to do something in a few thousand years in the future. With climate change, is this what you're, are you suggesting that climate change will be the, the catalyst to that, will force that to happen? Oh, if we don't get to grips with climate, climate change, we're in trouble within the lifetime of our grandchildren. Mm. Uh, so why? What, so what? What do you see in the in the sort of thousands? I mean, I, I agree with you that maybe in billions of years, when when our sun expires or becomes a, a a red dwarf and expands and literally just engulfs the inner planets of the solar system. But I'm just wondering what would what would cause it to happen earlier than that? Well, we've got a long time before that happens. We've mm. got about four billion years. Yep. The sun's only half its life. Yep. Um, but prior to that. We've got to get to grips with climate change. There's no question about that. But but this magnetic field flip mm. is a distinct possibility. And if you put the two together, as you were saying earlier on, mm. it's going to compound the problems. Mm. So we, we, we have to be prepared for these things. And it's going to be very hard to know how how best to prepare ourselves for the changes of the magnetic structure of the earth mm. one of the side effects of um from this study of the cowrie tree in in um, the swamp from new zealand is that they've shown that there was um very severe ozone depletion um was you know, was part and parcel of that um that um excursion yes so that's one one um serious environmental effect that's been um identified it really is a tr- a treasure chest. They, they, they can find so much from this one tree because it just happens to have lived at the very critical period. 
Mm. I think it was over only a 200-year period, or was it longer that they're uh, looking at, that the, that the excursion took place 42,000 years ago? No, I, I, I think it's longer than that. I, th- I think the actual ch- changes took place over about a period of 200 years, but it, it remained flipped in the opposite direction for about 400 years, and then it came back again. So it, it was basically a magnetic flip that didn't really succeed, and they call them excursions. It's... It, it, the theory is that it's the outer molten core that flips, and that's an excursion. But if the inner core flips as well, the solid inner core, then it is an excursion, and that will remain fixed for many thousands of years before it flips again. Yeah. There may be concern now because we we are seeing some signs. We're kind of we're overdue for a proper flip where where the, where north becomes south and south becomes north, and that'll be something that that if that happens, that can take thousands of years. I believe. Yes. Yes. Um, but we are overdue for them, they, and I think if you average it out, the ones that are known about, and I think they've looked back about 80 million years into the past and there's been i think there's been hundreds of pole flips in that time oh yes and i think it averages it averages out to be approximately one every there's a proper a full pole shift every 450,000 years and we're overdue for one as you said earlier that 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 it seems to happen randomly yeah. um, and there is speculation about what might cause them it's been suggested if you had a big enough impact from a, a meteor uh, that that could actually have a, a sort of a ripple effect down through the outer layers of the planet down into the into that molten outer core at the center or even well, things like very large tectonic or volcanic uh, movements physically interfering with that that part of the the center of the earth i'm not at all sure that's right i think if you had a, a an impact from a meteorite big enough to flip the magnetic field wipe out the earth it anyway. wipe us all out anyway no no i, I look, the problem of the flip is not a problem once it's happened it doesn't really matter whether our compasses point to the north or point to the south it's the transition that's the problem when the earth's magnetic field decreases mm. so that it lets in these cosmic rays uh, once it builds up again in the other direction we're fine Hmm. It really doesn't matter. It's the transition that's the problem. So to make the flip, you've got to have you've basically got a neutral. You've got to stop the magnetic field while that flip happens. Yeah, and that flip can take quite a while. It in does, human in it, human terms, it's it's a long time. And and nobody really knew how long it did take. And now they found a tree. And now they can look and they can see. Well, not 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 the total flip, but the excursion. They get some idea of the time scale involved. And this is why it's such a treasure. Hmm. Have they got any way of gauging whether what we experience now is the same sort of thing that was experienced 42,000 years ago? Or it, or is there a way of, of, of determining whether it's going to lead to a... whether we're actually in the lead-up to a proper pole shift? Is this stuff that they that they can predict? No, I, I, I don't believe that's true. All, all, all they could say is that prior to a pole shift, there is a decline of magnetic field before it goes the other way and we are experiencing a decline of the magnetic field now but it might suddenly start to build up again no i don't think they can predict it's really going to happen Mm. but you know the symptoms are there and who knows there's also a a thing called the the south atlantic anomaly and i believe that's a a weakness in 
the Earth's that magnetic field that stretches from Chile round to southern Africa. Yes, apparently so. And, and the magnetic field is patchy. Yeah. It, it's not... And, 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 of course, it's influenced by local deposits of iron as well. Right. But apparently, you know, miners and geologists use magnets to find deposits of magnetic material. Why not? You know, deflections, local anomalies... But this particular anomaly you talk about is is not exactly locally. It's huge. Yeah, yeah, and and probably originating in that the outer core. Oh, something's and, going on down there that that's, <laughs> that that's causing it. No, no, no doubt. Mm. Yeah, it's a really interesting natural phenomenon, and one which we are going to need to to learn more about. Unfortunately, they've found that tree. It's it's a fascinating phenomenon, and and it really did solve the problem of continental drift. If, if I could take your mind back to the fact that when we were young, people who believed in continental drift were regarded as being a little bit crazy. And how could the continentals drift? And how could the Atlantic get wider and wider? Because the Earth is not really getting any bigger. And then it was found that there's this mid-Atlantic ridge where the Earth is actually pulling apart, it's splitting apart, and volcanic material is welling up. And when they did, they, they looked at the magnetic signature on the seabed, and lo and behold, either side of that magnetic ridge is a barcode of places where the magnetic pole was at the pointing at the north, places where it's at the south. Mm. These barcodes, this barcode like stripes. Is, has thick and thin stripes, but the thing is they are mirrored along this ridge. The ones to the east are exactly the same as the ones to the west, and clearly the Earth is actually splitting apart at that middle Atlantic ridge. And I believe there's a, there's a section, there's a place in Iceland where that, that ridge that you're talking about is actually exposed. I've been there. Right. It's Thingvalir. It's where the Icelandic Parliament used to meet. It's a valley, a very, uh, a very sharp-sided, it's a bit like a canyon. There are little caves all along it. Apparently the various families used to go and set up camp at these various caves, and they used to shout to each other across the... because it, it's a very small valley, very, very compact, mm. and, th and this was their parliament where they used to meet and they used to talk to each other from their own positions and it was the world's first parliament apparently and it's a place called Thingvalir and I remember going there or oh, in my 20s with, with, with a friend from Cambridge and he got in one cave and I got in the other cave and I shouted about what my wants were with respect to the, <laughs> the parliament. To be calm. And we played silly beggars for a little while. Yeah. Fantastic. The world is an amazing place. It's great to have um, Tony here to, to explain one part of it. And great that you got to Iceland. I, I would love to visit that. That would be a, a real place on the bucket list for me. So as you've said in your notes, there was a, it's, a Lush, it's called a La Chambre uh, event. It occurred approximately 41,400 years ago during the end of the last glacial period. It's known from these geomagnetic anomalies discovered in the 1960s in the La Champ lava flows in France, and that's where that name comes from. However, it is being—it seems to be renamed the Adams effect. Stephen Fry will explain why. All right, hold that thought. The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy notes that the answer to the ultimate question of life, the universe, and everything is in fact 42. 
When prophetic author Douglas Adams wrote this, he couldn't have known just how right he was. But first, this is a 42,000-year-old tree. We'll come back to that after a note on the Paleopocalypse. Every so often, Earth's magnetic poles flip, collapsing its protective magnetic field, allowing in galactic cosmic radiation. This proves to be somewhat of an inconvenience to Earth and its dwellers, what with the lightning storms, crimson skies, extreme UV radiation, and such. But more on that tree. Studying its growth rings, some clever people have now clearly placed the last polar flip at 42,000 years ago. As it happens, many not insignificant Paleolithic events share this precise moment in time. This sizable stump has enabled scientists to connect these 42,000-year-old events together in a unifying theory called the Adams Event. 42,000 years on, these scientists are positively giddy with excitement that the next apocalyptic polar flip may be just around the corner. And that's uh, thanks to Mr. Stephen Fry. If you've ever watched QI, he's the presenter of that. And it's entitled Paleo-pocalypse. Narrated by Stephen Fry, he brings to life the story of the Adams event. And just like in The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, the answer comes back to 42. This is available for you if you want to listen to it on YouTube. You can watch this yourself, and I'll include a link in the show notes on our website, beyondinfinity.com.au. But uh, full credit to Stephen Fry for his narrating work there. And uh, it is actually available also through the University of New South Wales uh, YouTube channel. So thanks to Tony for um, pointing that one out and linking it up, because in The, the Hitchhiker's Guide, uh, Douglas Adams uh, you know, ask what is the meaning of life, the universe, and everything. The computer, which is the Earth, after thinking about this for a while, comes up with a, a kind of beguiling answer of 42. And so we've got 42 as the answer of the meaning of life, and 42,000 years ago was this excursion. There was always lots of speculation as to why he chose the number of 42. It is interesting that you say a lot of people have speculated about this because um, I remember um, thinking years ago, years and years ago, I was wondering why, why would he have chosen 42? And I was saying, 42, 42, 42. Well, it's not a prime number. And I kept saying 42, 42, fortitude. Could he have meant, could he have been referring to resilience and strength oh. as something to do with the meaning of life? Oh. Who knows? <laughs> um, but in relation to this... I actually thought it was quite a stretch to line up 42 with something with 42,000. You know, oh, what, what's right. the connection? It's a, <laughs> it's a bit of fun. It's a bit of fun, but why not? Yeah. And, and you know, how on earth is pole shifting and, and uh, magnetic reversal even vaguely connected to the meaning of life anyway? Not at all. I mean, it's just a bit of fun. Because Douglas Adams was a very very bright, intelligent guy, very mm. well-versed in science. Mm. And his Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy was much enjoyed and appreciated by the whole generation of, of students and 
Yep. Scientists. And, and there was a great the um, English yeah. TV series that was made of it, which yeah. was which was yeah. great, which we had in Australia. And Stephen Fry and Richard Dawkins and Douglas Adams, they were all pals together. Were they, right? Oh, yeah. So they were yeah. university yeah. buddies, I yeah. guess. Yeah, yeah. Yep. university Started buddies. off that way. Um, talking with Dr. Tony Hayes, retired physicist, double PhD, went to Cambridge, which is, I think, the same university that Stephen Fry did. You might have been a bit earlier. No, than... I, yeah, well, yes, we never... No, well, I think the, you might he, have been a little bit before he's a him. Yeah, <laughs> he's not that much of a youngster. I think this this pole shifting thing is very interesting, and let's hope that we don't wind up with such bright auroras, even though they are very beautiful, and people do special trips up to Finland and to the far north to see them. Because, again, I'm not exactly sure of the reason, but um, or maybe it's because the land masses don't get close enough to the South Pole. Occasionally, I think they can be seen in Tasmania, the southern end of Tasmania, and very occasionally, I think maybe even very last winter, you can see them from Victoria, the from the southern end of, of, yes. of Victoria. So that's the southeast corner of Australia. Uh, you get a bit of a glimpse, but nothing compared with what if you're you know up closer to the Arctic Circle as Canada is, for example. I remember many years ago going out at night and seeing this incredible auroral display. So Hopefully, I mean, that's one thing to have it when you can see it at night and it's sort of not blinding, but to, to have it so bright that it actually makes nighttime like daytime maybe wouldn't be quite so popular and, and wouldn't be too good with the sort of natural rhythms of, of uh, circadian rhythms and that sort of thing with and trying to sleep. Probably mess up all the communications as well. Mm. You know, the radio communications, satellite communications, your cell phone probably wouldn't work. Yep. All these things. The pole is moving moving around anyway. Mm. The magnetic pole is moving into Siberia. Yep. It's heading that way. Right. Yep. And and right. does does the so the pole opposite, the south pole, is it also moving at, yes. in the same kind of way, like in an opposite yes. way? Yes, it is. And and that and now that's offshore now. It's in, in the sea. Really? It's off the continent of yeah, Antarctica. And, and the continent of Antarctica is quite big. Mm, very big. So it's really a long way from the actual um it's a long way from the geographical south pole now it's actually in the sea right mm. and moving still and so moving. so that motion presumably they have to make adjustments with satellite communications timing is very vital apparently that's why they have atomic clocks and that's oh, why they oh, even oh, use oh yes but of course the you know the sat nav type um, satellites don't rely on the magnetic field at all. I mean, they're they're totally independent of this. Thank goodness we've got those because right. if you use a compass, yes, you have to make allowances for the fact that the magnetic direction doesn't correspond to the due north. Mm. Thank you very much to Dr. Tony Hayes for coming into the studio today. He's just informed me that he has cracked the eighty-one mark. When he turned 80, he received an OBE, which is the Australian version of the OBE, which is over bloody 80. But anyway, it's always great to have Tony to have a chat and to hear some of the stuff that goes on in in his mind and and then is uh, transferred to his interested followers through the University of the Third Age. I'm hoping that I can tempt Tony to come back into the studio and have a chat with us at some time in the future. But great to have you back, Tony. Always welcome. It's my pleasure. I enjoy these sessions. You're listening to Beyond Infinity. Thanks for listening. Remember to visit our program website, beyondinfinity.com.au, where you'll find our complete back catalogue of over 600 podcasts. 
That's beyondinfinity.com.au.